Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Marva and Sabrina. And in this podcast, we usually look at history through the eyes of sisterhood, uh, but sometimes we don't. And this is one of those times when we don't. Yes. <laughs> this is one of those times where we look at movies through the eyes of sisterhood and just call it sistery anyways, because everything in the past is technically history. Yeah. Right? Even if it happened 10 seconds ago, it's yeah. now history. Yeah. Remember um, when you did introduction? That's sistery. <laughs> that is sistery. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I personally just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone for all of your support and kind messages over the last week. Um, I apologize that we didn't have an episode, but I was a little bit under the weather, um, and so we had to take the week off, um, and I hope that you enjoyed the Instagram posts that Sabrina was posting and found out some interesting information. I know that I certainly did. Um, medical history is a wild world. So um, wild. I did want to, I wanted to post more, but every time I started researching something, I was like, oh, I'll spend like an hour on this. And then like four hours later, I was like deep in the depths of like medieval hysteria. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Ah! Like, um, yeah. But yeah, I saw some people commented on those posts. I really appreciate that. I also saw a lot of people reposting our posts about uh, the history of sterilization, especially in terms of how it affected women of color. And I was really happy to see that because during the like peak of the Black Lives Matter movement this year, there was a lot of information about like, um, like his more history that we didn't learn and like, black healthcare and stuff. But that was one topic I didn't see covered at all. So maybe I'm a little bit late. But also, as Hamilton said, it's a movement, not a moment. So we're still out <laughs> here talking about black people. We're still out here talking about Hamilton three weeks yeah. later. Hamilton episode part three. <laughs> this podcast um, is now about Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. We've entered a partnership with Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> please, um, please, Lynn Manuel Miranda, I know. reach out to us. Um, yeah. I don't think I told you, Marva. On my, I went on a really long run last week, as you know, um, mm-hmm. shortly before you went to the hospital. I'm glad that happened before because otherwise I would have been like, just crying and sweating for like three hours Um, (laughs) well you can exercise for me now too because I'm stuck in bed so I'm gonna need one of us to be fit perfect um but yeah while I was on my run I had three hours to just think to myself and I like planned out a whole letter I was gonna write to Lin-Manuel Miranda and had this whole fantasy about him like replying and all this stuff and then I forgot the whole thing I wrote in my head oh no Um, I know that goes along really well with I've been just listening to the soundtrack to Hamilton and Les Mis just in bed every day for mm -hmm. the past week um, (laughs) and trying to figure out how we can make Sistery the musical Um, so listeners watch out that may be coming once Broadway reopens you won't know what hit you (laughs) yeah you literally will not know yeah we We don't don't even know know. yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, anyways, this is all a big tangent to say that Black Lives Matter, and thank you for liking our Instagram <laughs> post. Yeah. Uh, also, I wanted yeah. to say, um, there's another, there was an 
interesting um, podcast that I listened to a long time. It was on a radio lab, and I sent it to you, Sabrina, but I don't think you listened. I did listen but... to it, and I made a post about it this morning. You just didn't like it because you're not a true fan of Sister Untold. I'm <gasps> sorry that I cannot be on the internet 24-7. A girl has got to sleep. Got to get yeah. my hemoglobin up. Make those um... blood cells. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, that's great if you posted about it, but that I didn't say the, um, podcast though. So if you can let our listeners know. Yeah. That podcast is the radio lab episode, um, from years back. Um, Yeah. Like 2012 or something. Yeah. That's back when I first started listening to podcasts. Um, but it was, what is the title? It's called what What if uh, destiny didn't exist or something. Yeah. What if destiny didn't exist? Um, and it just kind of talks a little bit about, the other side of the sterilization like issue not quite the other side but you know makes a lot of good points um or interesting points rather mm-hmm. um but so yeah, yeah I it was just say, an interesting conversation to have yeah just keep in mind that the people who started the eugenics movement in 1907 also thought they were making good points and other people thought they were making good points and that's why 32 states legalized forced sterilization yeah so but... I don't know. But there are things to discuss. Definitely, Um, yeah. So go look at our Instagram post if you haven't already. Someone commented something really interesting, a personal experience with a baby who was born of a drug-addicted mother and was born addicted to drugs, which is really sad. mm -hmm. Um, And they talked about their experience with that and, like, how it makes it, like, harder to kind of, like, see the correct side in this argument. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really appreciate yeah all of our listeners and followers for just engaging with this content Um, so I really like the conversations we're having yeah Um, and then so next week we will be back up and running in our normal um, history um, episodes (laughs) Um, I've already started well listening to some documentaries about my medieval queens because it's going to be episode to in that kind of medieval queen series um and all of it's really complicated and confusing so be prepared um <laughs> how and... many matildas in this episode marva i think there's no matildas but there are okay. two isabellas and they are both the main characters oh, no. so i'm trying to think of nicknames if we can call one like izzy and one bell or whatever yeah um we'll see um Perfect. But this week, uh, we have a very special episode um, that is an interview that Sabrina has done with a fellow podcast host, Audrey Thorne, um, who is the host of Lights Camera Analysis. Audrey is an English and film analysis teacher in New York, and so they got together to discuss sisterhood in the movie Thelma and Louise. So, Sabrina is going to take it away from here. Hi, Audrey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll introduce you a little bit to our listeners, and then you can tack on anything else you want to say. So, but my introduction is just going to be in terms of myself, because I only care about myself, because I'm self-centered. But Audrey is my dear old friend. We met back in, like, 2015, because we went to college together. And we started off our friendship on a rocky road by fighting about feminism. But 
we eventually <laughs> came to see eye to eye. And now fast forward five years, like I said, she's one of my closest friends. We both studied English, but we were really different types of English majors. I was the old dead white guys. Audrey was the living queer women kind of thing. And it was, you couldn't get more opposite than that. So yeah, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself now that they know like your role in my sisterhood circle and all that good stuff? Yeah, Um, I'm also a middle school English teacher up in East Harlem. I just finished out my first year of teaching which was rough and I could not have gotten through without my sisterhood. Um, And I am actually planning on switching now to another school in Brooklyn, which I'm really excited about. And something I really try to instill in my students is a love of analysis, a love of people, a way of understanding like the importance of strong relationships and how to build healthy relationships because Mm -hmm. That's something that I think is a really important tool in our lives that I've learned from some of my teachers and some of my favorite people. And I think that that's really important, which is why I form such weirdly deep connections with (laughs) books and movies and TV shows. Oh, and I was also going to like set the scene. So, okay. So I don't know how how I'm going to put this in, but I just like when people do this on podcasts. Um, And I'll probably keep this part, too, because I think it's funny and authentic. Um, But (laughs) right now, Audrey and I are on a Zoom call. You're in Upper East Side, New York. I'm in California. Um, And she's wearing a Legally Brunette t-shirt, which is one of my favorite of her shirts, because I think it's so ironic. (laughs) Um, And yeah, she's going to tell us all about Thelma and Louise. So yeah. Let's get started. Do you want to introduce what you're going to be talking about a little bit today? I'm really excited for this, but I'll let you explain to our listeners what we're going to be learning about. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about one of my favorite films. If you have not seen it, immediately pause this and watch it and <laughs> come back because it's amazing. Oh my god! And it deserves all of the attention. But um, Thelma and Louise is this beautiful, wonderful story about two best friends who we meet them. They're already best friends, but we kind of get to watch their friendship blossom as they become two more full human beings um, after surviving a... Sorry, you might hear my dog digging in the background. (laughs) um, After surviving a um, sexual assault. Uh, That kind of triggers a buddy cop film where they are very um bonnie and clyde-esque that buddy Mm. film awesome yeah i'm so excited because i actually am one of those listeners who should pause here and watch seven times because i've never actually seen this movie i think i watched maybe like 20 or 30 minutes of the end with you a few years ago and i did think it was really well done but i've never had a chance to watch it start to finish And I think it's one of those things that everyone thinks they know about. And maybe I'm projecting here, but everyone thinks they know about, but they don't actually know like all the intricacies of the story. So I'm really excited to see it through in more like analytical lens and maybe like a feminism lens. However, you plan on tackling this. I'm yeah, really excited for that. So before we get started, can you just kind of give us a 
really broad big picture overview of the plot of the movie so that for those of us like myself who haven't watched it um we can kind of get an idea of what we're we have in store of course so Thelma and Louise the wonderful women they are are the stars of this film Thelma is married to Daryl a terrible human being <laughs> Louise is married to Jimmy her no good boyfriend and they're supposed to be going up to a cabin to have a fun weekend instead when Thelma stop they film and Louise both stop at the bar but when Thelma flirts with this guy they end up dancing she gets too drunk he takes her outside tries to rape her Louise steps in at just the right moment gets Thelma away from him shoots the man who is attacking her and they go on the run Louise is kind of saying this is what we have to do this is where we're going to be she wants to get some money from her no good boyfriend Jimmy so they start that road trip Somewhere along the way, Thelma picked, uh, picks up JD. We see him, like, tell her how to rob a small store. And then he and her sleep together. He robs them, and they're mad about that. But Thelma starts thinking, I actually might have found who I am. I'm a robber. <laughs> and as they're, like, road tripping, she ends up, like, robbing a little gas station type thing, landing them some cash. And all the while, Thelma's no good husband is working with the police to try to track mm. him down. And in the end, just before the ending, they get pulled over by a police officer. They handle that. They keep driving. They're fine. And then a huge group of police officers find them. They're chasing them. And the women kind of look at each other. And they decide that they would rather die on their own terms, driving off the cliff then get taken in by these men and end up in the police and back in that old life trying to be something else and probably living in a jail cell for the rest of their lives so they drive off the cliff together okay it's a dramatic journey sounds like but (laughs) yeah I'm excited to learn all about it so yeah let's get started so we're gonna do some visualization to start should we close our eyes close your eyes (laughs) okay think deeply Two girls run hand in hand, chasing boys in the playground. Two teens stand in the corner at a party, taking notes off of the guys, whispering and laughing. Two young adults sit on the couch, drinking wine and talking about men. One woman holds another while she cries about how she has no luck with guys. They trust each other implicitly. They are closer than friends, each the other's therapist, role model, and advocate in one. And at the end of their story, one or both of them will find love with her dream man. You can open your eyes. Okay. We can all see the story unfold because we've seen it millions of times. Yeah. It totally and, fails the Bechdel test. I was just oh, like, yeah. about men, about men, about men. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, ladies, can't we talk about like the weather or something? Oh my gosh. And it's like everyone knows the trope. And yeah. writers have shaped friendships about women around romancing men since at least Victorian times. And it's, continued the trope throughout the 1950s Mm -hmm. even I love I love Lucy but if you watch I love Lucy you will see that they are reinforcing gender norms they are trying to build each other into more exactly perfect ideals of how to be in a romantic relationship Mm. with their partners and weirdly enough um, you might have actually heard of this Sharon Marcus article but it's all about a trope in which close friends help one an- or uh, one another or both of them have a successful romantic relationship. 
Hmm. And these friendships generally start either before the story begins or instantaneously at the start of a narrative. Hmm. And the friendships are also maintained like a relative stability throughout the course of the narrative. So we're not watching a film about friendship a lot of the time. We're watching a film about a romantic relationship and personal growth towards a romantic relationship in ways that are super normative and you must be super hyper feminine in these specific ways in like a pretty woman going from the prostitute to the perfect woman that is marriable. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that friendship a lot of the time becomes a device instead Mm -hmm. of an important piece of our lives, which is, I think, a lot of why people end up thinking that the importance of their lives is around I must be in a successful romantic relationship and people take their friends for granted so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's so damaging. It's so damaging. And Thelma and Louise was the first film I thought about after I realized that I love Lucy really plays into this trope. Mm -hmm. I think I love Lucy kind of satirizes it, but Thelma and Louise really defies it. It gives us an alternative world in which we start and just like what Marcus has said in like before the narrative begins, we have Thelma and Louise as best friends. And we don't even understand why mm-hmm. they're friends because they don't link up exactly. We're kind <laughs> of like, this is weird. Mm. They're in completely different places. They think about men differently. Um, mm-hmm. And Louise is really in a mothering role and Thelma seems silly. And they both start with partners who are almost caricaturally like bad men for them Mm, and their relationships mm -hmm. are really unhealthy and you wonder where is this going to go is this going to be a fun getaway weekend and we see (laughs) Thelma with this man getting romanced by him and we're like oh my gosh maybe like this is the romance I don't know they're being so bad Mm -hmm. she's already married to this other guy but this guy is romancing her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we get a real twist from that story when we hit the reality that happens to so many women of him attempting to rape her and Louis is mm. stepping in and saving her rather than a man stepping in and saving her. And then that's true. That's like the first like kind of subversion of this. Um, yeah. Like, and then trope, I guess. Selma really steps into the role of owning herself over the course of the story. And they go back and forth a lot and push each other to grow and don't their, their friendship is not a given. They give each other outs. They say, mm-hmm. I want to go to this place. I want to do this thing. Louise says, I'm not going home. You can go home if you want to go home. But for me, it's over. Like, I'm leaving. I'm going to Mexico. I would like for you mm-hmm. to come with me. But I think that there are lots of spots in which we see them negotiate their relationship in a way where it is, I respect you as an individual. You have the power to make choices. And that in and of itself is kind of a deviance from this norm. Mm-hmm. And then we almost think it's going to happen again when we meet. Oh my gosh. I'm forgetting who it is for a second. This is like his first. We, we meet the, the uh, Thelma meets a hottie from the film and. <laughs> okay. An unnamed hottie. <laughs> I'm going to do Thelma and Louise hottie. <laughs> and see what his Brad Pitt. So we, we, Yep. Oh my gosh, the most famous so, <laughs> American woman. I know, I know, but I focus on the women here. Okay, Sabrina? Okay, that's true. So that's true. Thelma meets unnamed hottie, and <laughs> <laughs> she, 
she objectifies him and we objectify him with her. And it's not about love. It's about lust. And she is able to take control of her sexuality and she sleeps with him. And Thelma and Louise really talk about it in a way where it's like, I'm happy for you that you're happy and you had this experience, but it's about you. It's not about him. And they're no longer with him. Mm -hmm. And it turns out Mm -hmm. he robs them. So it really, from that point on, it's a story of we are two women who trust each other completely, who are there for each other completely, who respect each other as individuals, who make our own decisions, doing what we want to do, and who don't give an F about men and don't need them to survive and can use them and they can use us. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't need to become more feminine. And over the course of Hmm. the story, we see them in this montage of going from one feminine role of someone working in a diner and one feminine role of being the housewife preparing dinner for her husband. They do their like glam up to meet each other. They take a photo, but over the course of the narrative, they go from that to whatever works the easiest and feels most powerful. So they put their hair Mm -hmm. up, they're wearing kind of bare bones, dirty tops that are just like living on the edge. They're both wielding guns. When somebody tries to catcall them, they pull him over and they shoot his gas truck and it blows up. And they say, this is what you have, what happens when you mess with us. Wow. But they really take it. ownership of themselves and they have just as much power when they are feminine and fighting off a rapist as they are when they're masculine and fighting off someone mm-hmm. who is harassing them. And that's a really, good it's point. like a huge transformation from we are friends who help each other have a happy ending by going after men to we are friends and we are our own happy ending. And we will Mm -hmm. not let a man take us in the end and put us in jail. We own our lives and we will Mm -hmm. leave it together. And they drive off that cliff and they hold hands and they're like, we are all we need. And they act and the director specifically chose to cut the film before they, we see them fall. We see them go up. We never see them drop because they live on and they live on their own merit and they make their own choices and they're fully empowered, imperfect humans. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I'm wondering, why do you think that that feminine to masculine transformation happens then if they are just as powerful as feminine acting and like women who are living in feminine roles as they are when they're like wearing these grungy T-shirts and like toting guns? Why does that why does that have to happen? I think it has to happen because of practicality. The same way that when you're a housewife, it makes sense for you to wear mm-hmm. an apron because you don't want to get stuff on what you're wearing. <laughs> like that's practical. Yeah. It, and sometimes you want to, f- and if you go out dancing, you want to feel beautiful and wear something that makes you feel beautiful. But if you're running from the police mm-hmm. you, and you're driving in the hot sun, you should put your hair up. You should mm-hmm. take off the layers and just be wearing like the tank top underneath. You should like really be able to say, dust is blowing in my face, maybe makeup isn't the move for me right now. I think practicality kind of shows that spectrum. I also think it's really helpful to be able to show almost the argument for viewers, although I'm not sure it's always internalized, on the cusp of the third wave that, of like third wave feminism, the idea early on was we have a, like we have a right to be masculine And then it became, we also Mm -hmm. have a right to be feminine and being able to kind of walk that line and remind people you have a right to be yourself and anywhere on that spectrum is safe 
for you and should be safe for you and you should be able to be powerful mm-hmm. anywhere on that spectrum. That is kind of what it meant to me is, and mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. thought being able to say, look, at the beginning, we have women being objectified and attacked by men. And at the end, when they are ma- more masculine presenting, we have women who are being sexually harassed and attacked and saying like, it is so oh, much okay. not on women what happens to them in that way like it is so much not your fault Mm -hmm. but it is also you're also able to give them power in both moments to say like you deserve to be protected and other Mm -hmm. women are probably Mm -hmm. the ones who are going to protect you because Mm -hmm. I think in both situations we see Thelma and Louise having each other's backs and saying like if I'm there I can Mm -hmm. help you compared to the one time we don't have Louise there when Thelma sleeps with our hottie we mm-hmm. know that she is then at risk and that is when they're loved is because they're not together mm-hmm. they're safer yeah. together they protect each other yeah yeah I love how much this film just reinforces like the importance of strong female friendships like truly strong female friendships not like superficial ones that we're just told are strong but yeah I think that um I circling really far back this is a big circle but to the like <laughs> practicality argument about their costumes I just wanted to make a little side note that I really like that you and the film, I guess, presents the feminine dress and like going out kind of dress as um, as practical, because I feel like there's a lot in our current wave of feminism. There's a lot of like, obviously, like women are pitted against each other in society all the time. So there's a lot of like tearing down of other women in like really weird ways. And I think like one of those ways is like how they dress and like how it's like impractical to be like I would like wear heels every single day in high school and like my sisters would make fun of me which like yeah my ankles literally don't work anymore so that was a bad choice it wasn't practical <laughs> but if I were a 1950s housewife and that's the way that's gonna make me feel like safe and like quote-unquote normal and like accepted yeah. that is actually practical and like when you're going out and you want to feel a certain way it is practical to wear like a mini sequin dress and like eyelashes out Mm -hmm. here like that is practical and I think there's so much there's no like men's clothing that we're like oh that's so impractical but there's so much like women's clothing that we're like that's so impractical so that's literally has nothing to do with this podcast but if you guys read my Instagram bio you know I love fashion history so that's why I just threw that in there (laughs) but yeah anyways carry on (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I also think it even plays into friendship also and the fact that they kind of change their fashion together in ways where mm-hmm. one, because we, we exist in a society, we're not going to act like we're independent yeah. blobs. The people that you care about, yes. you reflect <laughs> and they reflect to you. And as 100%. one woman changes her outfit, the other one kind of mirrors it and feels more comfortable mm-hmm. changing and morphing who she is with what they're seeing as practical because sociability is a huge part of it. Yeah. And I'm wondering like how you see their sisterhood change as well. Like from the beginning, what their relationship is like, the middle, the end, like how it evolves. Yeah. So I think at the very beginning, we don't have what I would consider a super healthy friendship. I I think it is unhealthy for one person to be the powerful person in a relationship in general. I think that can be dangerous. And in Thelma and Louise, we see that. At the very, very beginning. Who is Thelma the more powerful? So, who's the more powerful so Louise one? is the more powerful one. And Louise is the one who 
has already been in the past. She, she was raped when she was in Texas. She's already been through a lot. And I think that's part of why she, she is more jaded. She is a lot mm-hmm. older feeling and she's really protective mm-hmm. of Thelma and she really pushes her and she distrusts men. And she says, you, even in Thelma's relationship with her husband, she is also supposed to be more submissive. And because of her husband, she hadn't seen Louise a lot because her husband really beats mm-hmm. Louise, even though she loves Louise. And Thelma is put down so much, and I think emotionally abused by her husband to the point where she listens to him and submits to that and, and her friendship with Louise hurts. And this road trip is Louise's way of being like, please, like, please come. It's just going to be a weekend. Like, mm-hmm. ask your husband, like, come. It's going to be great. And mm-hmm. Thelma's like, yeah, it's be fun. And, like, I want to let my hair down. Let's go to, like, a bar. And Louise is like, I don't know. Okay. Like, I'm glad you're having fun. And then Thelma's flirting mm-hmm. with a guy. And Louise is like, I don't think that's a great idea. But she's, she's yeah. very much in the mothering role that whole time. And then okay, when we'll she see. sees... Thelma getting attacked she's the one who pulls out the gun and threatens mm. the man and even when Thelma's safe when he says I should have raped her I should have just gone ahead and done it you wouldn't have shot me basically mm. she shoots him and kills him mm. and it's I think it really to me registers as a maternal instinct in a lot of ways yeah and it, I think she both knows I feel like Thelma in a lot of ways is a younger Louise and she kind of sees herself mm-hmm. in Thelma and she's like, I will protect her. But it starts off that mm-hmm. way and Thelma is the weaker one, quote unquote, in a lot of ways who isn't able to feel who she is fully. And then mm-hmm. after that point, we slowly see her grow into herself and feel comfortable, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would call, say that she's weaker in the beginning, not because she isn't able to be in charge, but because she doesn't know what she wants and isn't able to yeah. kind of be herself. But after she'd only ever been with her husband after she's with Ahadi and he tells her about stealing, even after he's stolen from her, she doesn't let Louise chastise her for making the mistake of letting them get robbed. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like, obviously I messed up. Yeah. But I have to live my life and like this is what's happening. And then mm-hmm. she's the one who steps up and is like, I'm gonna make us some money. I know how to rob a gas station. I've been taught. I'm ready. <laughs> and Aww. she's the one who gets them out of trouble when they get pulled over by a police officer. She's the one mm-hmm. who takes charge and says, like, Louise, you need to shoot the radio. Like we are gonna mm-hmm. get out of here. And we as we see her grow into herself, we become we watch it become from like a mother-daughter relationship to a more equal partnership. Where okay, one can yeah, step up and wondering. one can step back and kind mm-hmm. of own their space and what they're good at because mm-hmm. they have different skill sets, they have different interests. Um, and I think by mm-hmm. the very end, it doesn't feel like at the beginning when Louise is saying, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Instead, it's we've both decided that we're going to go off this cliff. And yeah. by that point, I, I feel like they're equals and they understand each other so much better in part because of shared experiences and in part because of mm-hmm. realizing that they now have a more equal friendship. Because I do think earlier on, it almost feels like the power balance to the point where it's like, I don't know if Thelma made all of her own choices all the time. Yeah. And I mean, that would be like just horrendous if it was still this power imbalance when they drove off the yeah. cliff. And then it's like, Thelma's like, 
I don't know if I really want to die. And Louise is like, let's go. Exactly. Like, that would be really sad and awful. Um, and not much better than, like, her, probably her husband and her relationship. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So I think my other question is, like, what role do men play in this movie? Because I think at some points it sounds like, it's kind of like a total role reversal. The men are just there as like bags of flesh for like the women to like beat or not beat, but like kill or like have sex with or whatever. Um, and at other other points, I don't know, it might be kind of more extreme than the like because they're more like these vile characters. Um, so, yeah. What role do you think the men play? Are there any like well-developed male characters in the movie? Um, and like what is the relationship like between like the women and the men? So a lot of questions. I'm just like, boys, boys, boys. Tell me about the boys. <laughs> it's okay. We've already passed the medical test. Now we <laughs> yeah. can talk. Now we can ditch. Boys. Yeah. So I would, give me the gossip. I would say that we the best developed character that I think we get of a man would be JD, who is Brad Pitt, the hottie, mm-hmm. and we get to see him as a person who is really interesting with Thelma and not just a terrible human being. But I think all of the other men are caricature, caricatures of ideas okay. of what men are. In a lot of ways, I would say that Thelma's husband is like such a doofus. Like we, we as audience members are constantly laughing at him as he mm-hmm. screams dumb things and like trips over mm-hmm. things and was like ah my gardener is like I hate you why did you do this to me <laughs> like he's just such an awful dumb man is is kind mm-hmm. of like what and then you have Louise's boyfriend who is so much so to me kind of like the deadbeat boyfriend who is just mm-hmm. like but I love you Louise and mm. yeah I might do the bad things and hit you but I'm never gonna hit you again uh-huh. and it's like dude you are oh you're so please take care. You just don't know. Like, he's not a bad guy, (laughs) except for when he is a bad guy. And he's like, I'm trying to be better, but you know, he never will be. But if you're a person who does bad things, I think that kind of makes you a bad person. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) that we never see him physically abuse her. And I think that's the only reason Uh, that watching him, you're like, oh, instead of being mm -hmm, like, I hate mm -hmm. you. And I think part of the reason they can do that is we can see Louise feel like, Oh, God. She, like, pities him because she knows he's Mm -hmm. never going to improve. And he's such a caricature that you can pity him for being a caricature almost instead of seeing him for the vile person that I'm sure he actually is to her. Yeah. And then, but I think it's kind yeah. of good they don't show as much like violence. Oh, yeah. It sounds like they don't ever show yeah. any of the actual like assaults. There is very limited, there's very limited assault. I would say the one part that is triggering. I, I've watched and rewatched it too many times when analyzing it. They The progression with the rapist, I think, is handled pretty well, but could be triggering. I think they're pretty careful. Mm-hmm. It's not too explicit, but it is mm-hmm. followed. And I think it's, he's also in some ways the character of the charming rapist mm-hmm. who tries to get girls too drunk, but will force mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And because we see him and he is, he hits on them and very clearly is objectifying them, but seems very mm-hmm. charming. And then in the parking lot, we see bits and pieces of how he's grabbing her, 
when she hits mm. him, we see him hit her back pretty hard. Oh, um, wow. We see him lift her skirt up and turn her around. Mm-hmm. But then we see Louise with a gun. So it is okay. not that long. Yeah. yeah. It's not too graphic, but it is, it's more than would be necessary to indicate what is happening. Yeah. Yeah. They, and do you think, like, like by is... doing that, like, what do you think the purpose of that is? Because it's like, I think sometimes, like, I don't know. Yeah. What's your yeah. opinion so I think about that? Rape is used as a plot point a lot. And I think it's still used as a plot point in this. But I also think that this comes at the very start of, the reporting of rape and sexual harassment. It's right after the famous text, I think it's from Reverence to Rape, came out and it was saying basically rape culture exists and enormous mm-hmm. number of women are being sexually assaulted every year. So this is, I would say, an earlier representation of well-handled rape. And mm-hmm. I think that the way that they do it, at least they're quick. I think that they're very careful. Also, I really appreciate the fact she's drinking. Thelma is so drunk. She's been flirting mm. with him all night. And we see them, we see Thelma and Louise in a car afterwards. And Thelma's like, let's go to the police. And Louise says, no one's going to believe you. You were dancing cheek to cheek with him all night. And I think mm. it, they made it very clear what he was doing to her was not okay. With physical mm-hmm. violence, with her saying no, with being a little bit explicit about what they were showing. I think in part mm-hmm. so that the viewer could say, you seeing someone flirting with a man like she was. She was very flirtatious. It seemed like she might be mm-hmm. interested. And then hearing that he raped her. Yeah. He raped her. Like, I think that it, it... Like, yeah, it doesn't give you a chance to, like, victim blame or something. Exactly. And I think that that is part of why they made it so explicit. But mm-hmm. I do think that in some ways that can be... In, in some ways that can be very triggering. That can be very problematic. Um, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that even though technically the plot hinges on this rape, most people that I talk to forget it happens. That it, they, most people I talk to oh, forget wow. that that's the plot of Thelma and Louise. People remember... Why do they think they're running away? People forget. People forget that that's what happens because most of it is about the friendship in a way that it never mm-hmm. is. In most films that are about rape, it's, that is what people talk about. And yeah. we don't talk about their victimhood as the center of Thelma and Louise, which I find really mm-hmm. interesting. It's about, like, two kick-ass women who are body and colliding it. Yeah. And, when- and I think that's what, when I said earlier that I feel like a lot of people, like, think they know this movie, but they don't know this movie. I think I thought it was just, like, the female Bonnie and Clyde. Like, you know, like, I was like, oh, they're, like, bank robbers or, like, criminals or something. We're, like, on the run from the cops. I didn't realize it was, like, rooted in, like, a sisterhood like protecting defending this woman from like an attacker and like that feels so like I think the female Bonnie and Clyde would have been cool and fun but like this just seems so much more like important to exist as a film because of like how it starts out and like this idea that like women need to like not only be there for each other like just like emotionally and like when we're like dealing with like a breakup or something but like physically like to like help each other and protect each other um yeah I think that's like really cool yeah I totally agree and I think it's really interesting that to me this is Thelma and Louise is feminist body inclined Clyde I think it is the take on that Mm -hmm. and and the sexual assault grounds it in the moment in some ways and makes it real and makes it talk about issues and I felt like Queen and Slim 
is almost a modern reinterpretation of that and then says hmm. yeah mm-hmm. sexual assault mm-hmm. is something that is starting to be talked about and handled mm-hmm. a little more seriously and here's the film about that and the queen and mm-hmm. police brutality and the murder of mm-hmm. black individuals by police officers for no real reason is something that people are starting to talk about and we can put it into a film and then mm-hmm. slide it and i think it's such yeah. a weird and interesting framework yeah that's so true it's like a vehicle for like talking about things we're not supposed to talk about or like are hard to talk about or like are really divisive even though there's like there's a clear victim in both of those cases but like for some reason people are like in denial of that and then so you like turn the victim into a criminal this is actually really fascinating turn the victim into a criminal and then force you to be on their side because you follow them for two hours and like fall in love with them Wow, look at the film industry. It's so interesting. We just love criminals, you know? We can't help you. Yeah. Oh, so bad, so it's bad. It's true. <laughs> no, yeah, like, um, Marva always says, like, she loves a bad girl. Like, that's what she's, like, so interested yeah. about, like, in this in this series, is just, like, all the bad girls throughout history. And I think a lot of people love the bad guys or the bad girls. And then yeah, it's, like, easy to be, like, kind of seduced by their story. And this, this format, like, allows the filmmaker to do that so yeah hmm, interesting i'm ready for the intersectional <laughs> feminist version to come out here we go yes <laughs> where it's like a, like a black couple like black friends and then it's also like police brutality and it's also like just literally everything i'm like yeah <laughs> things I'm getting thrown at them and it's a video game actually where you have oh, to avoid the things being thrown at them <laughs> yeah that would be so funny. That would not be funny. That'd be a really bad and weird movie. But they're slowly <laughs> picking up friendship points as they go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I have one more question, but I don't know if there's anything else you had that you want to throw in. No, go for it. Okay, cool. Um, so I know I spoke to you a little bit about this as we were talking about the just preliminary conversations for this podcast. Um, but so the kiss at the end, because as I said, I've only seen the last 30 minutes. So what I saw was like these two girls like driving a car. They put a police car, police person in like the back of a car or something. I saw like that scene. And then I see them like kiss and drive off a cliff. And that's like my whole understanding of the movie. (laughs) And so I was thinking, I was like, oh, like on our podcast, we're really against the idea of like, kind of like straight washing history and being like because there's so many like female quote-unquote friendships that were really like relationships that I think like historically people will be like oh like Colette and her friend and it's like no Colette was a lesbian like (laughs) (laughs) um, and so and like there's a lot of stories like that that I adore but I'm like they're not for our podcast because it's not a sisterhood it's not a platonic kind of love but you are convinced that they are a platonic kind of couple or whatever. Um, and which is interesting because Bonnie and Clyde are also a platonic couple, even though they're a straight couple in the film Bonnie and Clyde. But um, they're not a straight couple in real life. People think Bonnie was or Clyde was gay. But um, anyways, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, are they? Are they or aren't they? I guess it's my thing. I know they like each other, but they don't like like each other. (laughs) I would say. Okay, so that's the summary. I think that 
you as you watch them over the course of the film and their interactions with men, I think it's very clear that they're both attracted to men. And I think you can kind of get their tells for when they are attracted to men. Mm-hmm. And I think you don't see those tells when they're with each other. Mm-hmm. I think they're mm-hmm. really deeply bonded. And I also think that the level with which they show sexuality and attraction so clearly in this film like I think it's so beautifully and clearly shown and so easily easily shown that I think we would have seen it over the course of the mm-hmm. other okay like hour and however and change of the film mm-hmm. we would have seen that attraction somewhere and it really feels like they move from a mother-daughter relationship to a sisterhood and mm-hmm. I I actually I am con- personally confused by even the inclusion of the kiss because to me it didn't feel true to them, but it did feel yeah, I do like sealed why. with a why kiss, they, like, like okay, like a we have agreed to this, like a mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a word for it, and I can't think of the word for it, but it's almost like when you shake hands or yeah, when, um, it's like an oath or it's, something. Yeah, where I, I think it, it feels like a very strong like we have made this decision. This is different from anything mm-hmm. we've ever done. I am saying goodbye to you. Like okay, we are wow, so, so close, and I think I'm queer. I'm pro queer. I <laughs> would totally be fine with having a film in Louise that was romantic, but I just don't think that they are. I think that it is mm-hmm. really about two people who say, "I want to spend." my life with you because you are so good to me and I care about you and I want you to be happy but there's no jealousy in Louise when Thelma sleeps with JD mm-hmm. she's just like I'm so happy for you and Thelma's just like giddy she's like he's so hot like it's <laughs> just it's it is those vibes of like I want you to find a man who's cute but you know that through and through I am here for you and this is mm-hmm. what it is but I've heard lots of different interesting interpretations of the kiss I just think that it's an interesting and odd inclusion to me. I also yeah. think that if it wa- if they wanted it to be queer, it would have been very difficult at the time for them mm. to try to I think make that's it over why, like, as well, which is why it could have been a hidden. Exactly, yeah. But it really, the whole film registers to me, they're, the, up to that point, they register as platonic, and even at that point, like if if they were saying kind of like, this is our end, they could have decided to, like, kiss and be caught or something. Like, I feel like they even could have had a message mm-hmm. from the film that, like, it's bad to be that way. And if they mm-hmm. wanted to, like, I think they could have gotten away with something like that. Like, that was why they were caught. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, I don't think that even in that moment, there wasn't a, I want to tear your clothes off kind of kiss. It was <laughs> yeah. a... It was a really sincere. This is like this is pure. the end, and this is we're gonna we're gonna do this. Okay. This is who okay. We are. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that interpretation. I like the sealed with a kiss kind of idea, because I mean, kisses do obviously have so many connotations. Like parents kiss their children, like like husbands kiss their partners, whatever. Everyone kisses everyone, and it's not always <laughs> the same kind of kissing. Um. So yeah, that like kind of I think just that kind of like passionate display of friendship is just so rare maybe and that's why it like registers as something that like must be romantic like because like you said at the at the beginning with that um like mental like picture of a classic film it's like it's such a 
kind of superficial love that we see between women most of the time. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, even in, even in films that I feel like the women are super close and you can feel that it's just not the same kind of like passionate, like I would die for you. I would die with you. Yeah. Like I would kill for you. Like, and that's exactly what this film is. And like, if you love someone that much, then I guess it does make sense to like express that in the most like outward display of love that we have, which is a kiss. So yeah. Okay. I'm convinced I'll allow it. <laughs> now you just got to watch it seven times. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. Just so much to think about. And now I feel like I, I'll actually pose this as a question. Do you feel like since you're so familiar with this movie, does it change the way you watch other movies with different types of sisterhoods? Like, is it kind of a lens or like yeah. a framework you use to like interpret other movies? I definitely think it is in a lot of ways a gold standard to me for a way to show a lot of different pieces of feminism in one film. I also think looking at a friendship like S&B and Gossip Girl, you're Woo! kind of like... We tried to mention Gossip Girl like every oh episode, gosh. so you're golden. Perfect. Good job. <laughs> I'm like, good friends who, like, that's so toxic. And being able to see kind of what a friendship can be definitely is a lens that I use for understanding other films. But I think even just their use of the female gaze as opposed to the male gaze mm-hmm. in this film is something that I, I think about all the time when criticizing other films. And I think the one piece of it that I don't carry with me as a like, this is really cool, is the way that they make men care into caricatures, acting as if that's necessary to have really strong friendships. And I think it's really interesting to try to see how strong friendships play against a world in which men are not pieces of poop. Yeah, I feel like, like in that regard, it's kind comparison. of like two steps forward, one step back kind of. and I think they tried to show a lot of caricatures like the the police officer trying to get them totally has a savior complex like he totally Mm -hmm. wants to save them and help them Mm -hmm. but it's like they don't need you yeah but I'm yeah I guess like the issue Um, is is that like if you just have a bunch of caricatures of men and it's like men are always like evil and awful then it's like this is the like angry feminist that they warned you about like it's like this movie is like just tearing down men and it's like women are perfect and even when they kill men they're still perfect and they die in like a true. martyr's death and like you know like and so. I mean it's still true, it's still true. no but <laughs> I think I think it's really dangerous to hate men and I think it's dangerous to say that all men are bad and I think part of Selma and Louise is also to me I can't remember which theorist said it it will be in my podcast on Selma and Louise eventually one day <laughs> but there was there was theory that had come out really recently that Matt like when this came out that really matches Louise's mindset of like you cannot trust all men mm-hmm. you cannot trust any men mm-hmm. women should live in fear of men I think it actually might be from reverence to rape as well mm-hmm. where it's just like you must live in fear of men and I think that I can understand at that time when all of this is coming out having that mindset mm-hmm. but I do think that definitely it's super dangerous especially because it's important to get people of all genders on board to gender equality. yeah and yeah, men exactly. are oppressed in so many different ways and manipulated and like the idea that men can't cry and all of those different things create toxicity so I think there is like a toxic masculinity to the film mm. men mm, that okay, is yeah unhealthy to consume for 
women who take them and then say, oh, men are trash mm-hmm. as a black statement or men to watch and then say angry feminist. Yeah. I have nothing to take out of this. Yeah. That's definitely true. So I think when I watch other films, that's the one part of the film that I don't carry with me mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as a gold standard, because I do think that that's um, one area it really short, but like falls short. Yeah. On. But I mean, when, when was this movie made? Uh, 83. I believe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we've come a long way. I think we've learned like you can have oh, yeah. developed, male and female characters and it's allowed <laughs> um but yeah yeah thank you so much thanks for coming on um maybe Audrey will be on here again one day she also wrote her thesis on um another iconic sisterhood I love Lucy so I'm sure at some point we'll try to beg her presence again to tell us all about that because who doesn't like a classic 1950s sitcom sisterhood? I do like it. So <laughs> hopefully everyone else does too. Yeah. You better. <laughs> Otherwise, leave this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're kicked out. Give us your money and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rob her. Okay. <laughs> it's my life. You could be too. Yeah. Maybe it's my life passion and my, my destiny. Okay. Well, thank you, Audrey. Any parting words about sisterhood or about the movie or anything you want to leave our listeners with? Don't rob any banks unless it's your calling, BBs. (laughs) Great life advice. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. We have a few announcements, as always. First of all, we are available anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also listen to our podcast on our website, sisteryuntold.com. And you should follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with our episodes and also to play fun games like guess who this woman is that's not really the name of the game but I just made that up um, you can month- also play another game where you suggest titles for our games <laughs> yes the real game <laughs> yeah. um, every week we post pictures leading up to our episode and encourage our followers to guess in the comments about who these women are so we hope you'll join in on the fun Yeah, and also, if you've been enjoying this podcast so far, we would super appreciate it if you could tell all your friends, share our posts on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you follow us, and also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen. Um, Those reviews and ratings are super important in helping other people find out about our podcast. Mm -hmm. Another way you can support us is to support us through Patreon which allows you to join the sisterhood, which is an online community of really exciting and thought-provoking conversations and eventually a book club. So you want to get in on the ground floor so that you can meet all the other amazing people who listen to our podcast and want to take, take it a little deeper. So you can find us on Patreon at Sistery Untold. Or you can go to our website and click on the Join the Sisterhood tab where you can get more information and find out all about the different levels. Um, Yeah, 
But I think, yeah, the most important thing that we could ask for you to do is just share, share, share. We want to get as many people to hear about the awesome women that we're telling about as possible. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, is sistery. sistery. I think that was good. <laughs> okay, awesome. 